Now, there was a time that uh, we took my daughter to a Santa Claus at a different town. And we got in the line with everyone else. And she she got up there and the Santa starts addressing her by name and starts talking to her like he knows her and like knows a whole lot of information. And we were freaking out like, what is what is up with this guy? This is the world's greatest common. As it turned out, the Santa Claus, by complete coincidence, the Santa Claus uh, was an old friend of my parents who I hadn't seen in a long time, but was completely up on her information. Oh, uh, so, so he knew, Oh, yeah. He knew everything about her. And uh, oh, he was pretty. That would he not was, be cool. He was pretty convincing. Well, like once I found out who he was, it was fine. But at the moment, we were like, what is happening here? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that's still unsettling to put your daughter in a stranger's lap and suddenly they know everything about her. I mean, that's rather the point of Santa Claus, isn't it? <laughs> Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McIntyre, discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? Quiet, Doc. Well, it's that time of year. It's Christmas. It is. I'm very festive. Can you see? I can see. Our listeners uh, can't. Yes. It's a uh, riveting podcasting for everyone to see the beautiful yellow, or yellow, r- red sweater. <laughs> what? <laughs> I wow, didn't do well in kindergarten. Right. No, you didn't. I already messed yes. it up. And my Santa hat. Yes. I'm, I'm looking the part, even though uh, I'm really not a Christmas person. I'm a Thanksgiving person. There's really only two holidays that I celebrate, and that is Thanksgiving and my birthday. Oh, well. So you don't celebrate Christmas at all? Well, I do, but I I celebrate it in a non-traditional, or in this case, a very traditional sense. So what is the traditional Christmas uh, that you're going to be... How are, you, how are you planning to celebrate Christmas this year? Oh, full-on Saturnalia. <laughs> like, we're talking, like, feasts and drinks and orgies and like just two weeks of Bacchanal. So, uh, but I'm trying to figure out is knowing, knowing the lifestyle that you and engineer Mike have most of the time, how's that different from your daily life? Oh, that... it, it doesn't. It, that's just <laughs> typical Friday night for us. It's the same, except know? now you wear red when you do it. Is that the idea? Yeah, the, really. Yeah. I mean, we're just, I, I ordered a steer. We're bringing it into the living room and we're just going to slaughter it and then kind of roll around in its blood. It's it's going to be great. Man, that's a great Christmas party. Mine mm-hmm. stink. My Christmas party is always have like, you know, finger foods and music and lame stuff like that jingle bell rock yeah right. yes. i've been to your christmas parties lame yeah sorry yeah. <laughs> old fizzy wig and me we just don't know how to do it right yeah I, i'm i'm disappointed you are invited to our bacchanal though well this year i might not be available because this year i'm planning also to bring back a traditional christmas or at least to do what i think uh you know the jolly old elf himself would do and that's I plan to beat up some heretics and uh, maybe stop some cannibals. I wait. What? I yes. I have not heard this tradition before. Okay, so let's talk about Saint Nicholas of Mira. So, as people, Mira. yes, of Mira. Yes. Wait, is that wrong? I think that's no, right. No, where where is Mira? It's in Turkey. Turkey uh, okay. It's not called Mira anymore. I I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, but it was Mira back when St. Nicholas lived there. He's early. He's actually not medieval. He's a class, classical guy, third century-ish. And uh, he was possibly at the Council of Nicaea, to give you a sense of when he was around. Okay. Uh, so he was an important Christian saint. So there's a lot of stories about him that 
some of them exist in the classical world, but the stories about him really grow during the Middle Ages. And probably the most famous one connected to how he became associated with children and gift giving has to do with some girls who are going to be essentially sold into, we'd say they're going to be trafficked. Mm -hmm. He uh, throws some uh, bags of gold into the window so that they are essentially be as essentially be bought so they don't have to be uh, sold into um, prostitution. So this is one of the reasons why he's simultaneously a patron saint for children and for prostitutes. Hmm. Yeah, but there are a couple other stories, one of which uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about and one I'll talk less about, but the one that I'm going to talk a little bit more is, is kind of become a little well-known on the internet. So, And it has to do with the Council of Nicaea. Okay. So the Council of Nicaea was an early uh, uh, Christian council, and these councils existed to essentially deal with different kinds of uh, conflicts, I suppose, uh, for lack of a better way to put it. And at that time, the big conflict had to do with Arianism. Arianism argued that Jesus was not fully divine. He was, it's a little more complicated than this, but he was created by God. That he is a, He's a creation. He is not himself Fully human, uh, fully divine. Right. Yes. How we think of the Trinity, Arianism was against that. And the truth is, we're not even certain that he that that uh, Nicholas was there. Um, I tend to think he was. There isn't a lot of evidence to show he was there. But the reason I tend to think he was is I, the negative evidence about him being there is uh, it's basically well he's not listed in this place, but he's in later ones. So uh, when I see that kind of thing, I tend to give credence to it. He, he certainly could have been there, but we're, we're going to ignore that. It doesn't matter whether he was there or not uh, for the source of the story. And so essentially the story about what happens there uh, kind of grows more and more. Uh, I'm going to read you some sources. And I got these actually from uh, Robert, uh, Robert, uh, Roger Pierce's blog. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to Roger Pierce's blog. Uh, because he appealed to people to do translations for him. And uh, the reason I have the link there, and he, I don't think he did the translations. He had some other unnamed people who voluntarily did them. So the sourcing of this is all a big mess. Uh, so take this for what it's worth. By the way, the sourcing of this is why I'm less concerned about missing information uh, from these other classical sources. Because we have missing information from a blog post like five years old uh, yeah. at this point. And this is where we get the Nicene Creed. This is where yes. Anglo-Catholics um, and Orthodox churches get the, you know, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven, earth, of all things, seen and unseen, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with defining who Jesus is with relation to God. And then we come up with the, this is where we really kind of settle on the full on what we mean by the Trinity. And of course, the East and the West have slight differences, but basically very similar ideas. And so this 14th century source, we read, it happened that St. Nicholas, now an old man, was present at the Council of Nicaea and out of jealousy of faith struck a certain Arian in the jaw on account of which it is recorded that he was deprived of his mitre and pallium on account of which he is often depicted without a mitre. Wow. <laughs> and so oh the idea God. is some Arian was there, a guy allied with Arius. Now, by the way, this source is, we're talking over a thousand years later uh, after the council. So we're talking much later that it's, it's had a full millennium to grow on, but yeah, he's not going to smite this guy. And in some accounts, it seems like he's smiting him in anger and others. It's feels like a kind of, uh, I'm slapping this, some sense into this guy, right? More of like, mm -hmm. get, you know, shake yourself out of this heretical delusion you're in or something. Yeah. 
But by the 16th century, well, that idea sure catches on because a couple hundred years by the 16th century, it wasn't a certain Arian. It was Arius himself. So here's a quote from a 16th century source. After the king seated himself on the throne, 159 fathers seated themselves on at either side of him, both they and Arius arguing with much unease. St. Nicholas Noticing that Arius was about to quash all the archpriests and moved by divine zeal, rose up and gave him a slap that shook all his members. <laughs> Good God. Yes, what's interesting about that is the actual, that's interesting about that is the actual, um, it's not just that it turns into Arius himself, but notice it's not that like noticing that Arius was a jerk. It's noticing that Arius had the better argument and I better shut him up. Uh, he, he smacks him. It gives him a good slap. Now, resorting to violence. Yes. Well, skipping ahead a little bit in the story, uh, there's a like the king is not happy about this. They kind of, he gets defrocked and thrown in prison, though he's only defro- uh, he's only there for a day because of what happens then. Uh, here's another quote from this. Having unstated, that means uh, uh, made him no longer a bishop uh, and imprisoned him that night. Christ and the Holy Mother Theotokos. Theotokos means God-bearer. It's an uh, Eastern rite. Often she's called Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus, sometimes called the Theotokos. It's a title. Uh, so that night, Christ and the Holy Mother Theotokos appeared in prison and said, Nicholas, why are you imprisoned? And the saint replied, for loving you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and, my God. And that are you is serious? Uh, yes, that, that is, is the... Such- that is such a, a, a son thing to say. <laughs> right. Well, and he, and they're by it. I just loved they're you like, too yeah. much. Exactly. I committed an act of violence in your name, mom. <laughs> that's exactly, uh, that's exactly what it is. And so they, they uh, give him back his, uh, oh, I think his mitre and other things. And he's, and everyone has to take it back because Jesus and, and, and Mary show up and say, well, here he is. He's good. He's good to go. So, um, and you see a lot of that nowadays, that story of really, I think in the last, I'd say five years, that story is sort of spread around the internet more. It's become more well-known. So nowadays in certain sort of uh, circles, you'll see pictures of St. Nicholas. It's turned from slapping him to just punching out Arius himself. A good sucker punch. Yes. He's just like a good uppercut. A scene from Rocky. Yeah. He tried to step to this and he couldn't <laughs> handle it. Exactly. Had to get, yeah, had to get served. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I can see why that traveled well on, on the internet. I bet this ha- I bet this showed up on Tumblr one day and then went viral. There is, there is a part of me that kind of hopes, I mean, it would be terrible, but on the other hand, wonderful, if a century from now, part of traditional traditions is to just go up, is to just start getting into theological debates with someone. And if they accidentally stray into heresy, you punch them out. Like that strikes me as a wonderful new Christmas tradition. Or if their arguments get too good, you just punch them out. That's right. If we can't. Yeah. And that's how you know you've won the argument is you get punched yeah. out. Right. Yeah. That's the victory. Combine this with your festivist tradition. First like you air the before, grievances. Yes. And then you punch out the person with the better argument. Which is a feat of strength. Exactly. Boom. Thank you, Seinfeld, for mm-hmm. teaching us all about Nicholas. Right. Now, I have one other story, which is a little bit less well-known, and there's a lot of versions of it. Um, okay. But what's interesting about this one is it's depicted a lot in art. And so I've got just a couple of uh, images of this in the... I don't have quotes, but I have a couple images of art uh, that we'll put in the show notes page. And the version of this 
miracle is there's three boys and depending on the version of the story they're they're from very young to a little older they are sometimes they're just kidnapped sometimes they're for some reason pestering a local butcher or a local cook someone who's involved with the commercial trade of food who then good hard-working person yes if yes you're... exactly so he works hard by murdering them and pick <laughs> as one does not Nicholas doesn't, the cook or butcher cook, does, yes. right, Russ? And and puts them in a brine vat to pickle them. So he's going to pickle the three boys. Pickle uh, the children. Okay. Yes. And the idea is he's pickling them, presumably, you know, to sell them in meat pies and things uh, later <laughs> on. But Nicholas. This turned into Sweeney Todd. Yes, exactly. Nicholas not wanting to, uh, I guess, not wanting people to eat a bunch of dead guys a bunch of dead kids, um, he comes and he resurrects them. And so if you look at iconography of St. Nicholas, there's often a lot of it with like three boys coming out of a tub. Uh, the idea is he's just resurrected them uh, because they were murdered and being pickled to be eaten. See, I, I wondered if this was going to turn into that tradition of hiding the pickle. I think it's a German <laughs> tradition of hiding a pickle in your tree or hiding a pickle around your living room. I don't know if there's a, I, I don't know if there's a connection to that. That is really a good question. Yes. Cause our, our friends gave us a, a, a pickle ornament a couple of years ago when we got our tree and uh, they said, yeah, you hide it in your, your Christmas tree. And I thought, well, that's a new one. I'd never heard of that. And uh, I, I just, that, that sounds very familiar. I wonder if we're actually hiding a young boy's limb. Uh, you might be. I would say another thing to be careful about is Anyone offering you any meat-based dishes, if you cannot readily identify the meat, you should, I think, assume that this time of year, it's probably pickled boys. Mm. Stay away from the charcuterie plates. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I have one other thing. Uh, so let's talk about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, Always room to talk about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes, Rudolph is not very old. Um, he was... I have to do the math. I think he's like 60 years old, the, the, the song, which is where he comes from. Mm -hmm. But there is, uh, in, in medieval nerd circles, there is a translation by Philip Craig Chapman Bell. Philip Craig Chapman Bell translates Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer into Old English. And he, and the truth is, I can't find the original post. Um, the earliest post I can find links to an earlier post and then says, oh, which is not the original post and says that one also is lost. So this is another reason why we need to be very gentle with people dealing with yeah. <laughs> classical, medieval, and I suppose ancient sources. So he translates it into old English uh, and then he retranslates it into modern English. And so rather than entertaining you with the old English, which most of our <laughs> listeners couldn't understand, mm -hmm. I'm here now to do a dramatic reading of the song in modern English via So just to English. clarify, this is this is old English translated in or this is modern English translated into old English and then retranslated into modern English. You got it. That's okay. exactly right. All right. Hit it with us. And do it in if you can, mm. do it in your best Burl Ives voice. <clears throat> Cuz you you kind of look a little bit like Burl Ives. Well, thank you. But Thank you. I love you Burl Ives. So. Thank you. you. You don't have to do that, but go ahead. Do it in your best. Genius. I don't know if I can do the vibrato that Burl Ives would bring that's, to this, but to Will. That's true. Uh, that's true. <clears throat> go I'll, ahead. Do it. Here we go. Do it in your normal voice. 
Here begins the deeds of Rudolph Tundra Wanderer. <laughs> I already love this. Lo, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That beast didn't have unshiny nostrils. <laughs> the goodly-nosed cartilage glittered and glowed. The hoof-bearers hoof <laughs> hoof taunted him with proud words. There's already lots of kennings. I like mm-hmm. this. The comrades wouldn't allow wretched Rudolph to join the reindeer games. Mm. Then on Christmas Eve, bound in storms, Santa Claus remembered that, spoke formally to him. Dear night-sighted friend, nose-bright one, you, Rudolph, shall lead my adorned rapid wagon. Then the Skyflyers praised their lead deer. Skyflyers. There, there was gladness in music. One of the horned ones sang. Lo, Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, your fl- fame spreads broadly. You are renowned. So that, thank you very much for... Uh, that is incredible. Philip Craig Chapman Bell for that delightful translation and retranslation. Wonderful. There mm-hmm. were hints of socialism. There were plenty of kennings that, that, that warms my dear black heart. <laughs> so do you have any recommendations? I do, indeed. Um, for our Saturnalia, I am going to have plenty of Chaucer's Mead for All Seasons. And this was given to us by my friend Eric of the uh, Wine Dads podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got, I've got a pack here. Eric, who I might point out, also has an advanced degree in medieval studies. He so, does, indeed. Boom. Anyway, go yes. on. Because it is the holiday season, I do recommend everybody have some sort of mulled or spiced beverage, be that mead, be that wine. Um, and you should try Chaucer's Wine, which is uh, chaucerswine.com. I will or Chaucer Swine, depending. Cha- Chaucer Swine would probably the <laughs> would probably be the best translation of that, yes. But this right here is, is really, really good. Try it hot. Don't have it just like you would have normal tea. You, you want to have it stirred and, and spiced and uh, sitting for quite a while. It's really, really good. But if you go to the site, you it's not just meat and wine, but uh, plenty of other type of beverages and teas that you can get as well. So that is my recommendation. Wonderful. Yes, delicious. Well, and I've had Chaucer's Mead many times. And, mm-hmm. uh, it's delicious. It is. It's really good. So my recommendation uh, is going to seem very pedestrian at first, and it is Sir Gawain the Green Knight. Uh, and the reason I recommend that is in some ways, a lot of our our traditions involving Christmas um, have come really have come from Dickens and, and you know, the Victorian era. Uh, but sometimes this gets exaggerated into being like, well, no one really celebrated Christmas before that. But of course, that's ridiculous. People sure did. Uh, Sir Gawain, the Green Knight actually opens with Christmas at Camelot. Now, a lot mm-hmm. of our listeners, if you're a nerd who's uh, listening to this, you probably already know Sir Gawain the Green Knight. Uh, some of you might not be lit nerds, so you might not have read it. So go ahead and read that for Christmas to come up. But if you are that kind of nerd, then I want to recommend a film version of Sir Gawain the Green Knight, a 1994 film starring Sean Connery as the Green Knight called Sword of the Valiant. I can't even begin to describe to you the various levels of insanity that this that this thing is, but it is crazy. It is 
everything. It's basically someone took all the elements of Sir Garwin the Green Knight, put them in a blender, and before they hit pulse to mix it, said, why don't we dump some cocaine in this as well? And that's how you end up with Sword of the Valiant. Uh, so I do recommend Sword of the Valiant for those of you who are so jaded that you say, ha, Sir Garwin the Green Knight, so bourgeois, I am now advanced beyond that. Go for Sword of the Valiant, my friends. We're going to screen this movie at my Saturnalia, everyone. <laughs> you mentioned the cocaine. We're going to screen this movie at my Saturnalia. <laughs> yeah, it would be right at, right, at, right at home there. Yes, it would. Uh, so before we end, how would you say Merry Christmas in Old English then? So there are a couple different ways you could say it. One way to say Christmas would be Christmas, but my favorite way Too is, easy. Yes, my favorite way is instead of saying Christmas is to say Yule. Actually, that's how you'll hear it referred to a Yule. lot. Right, and so you would say Blithe Yule or Blithe Yule is how you would say it. Say that again. Blithe Yule. Blithe Yule. Yes, Blithe Yule. Blithe Yule. Blithe Yule. Ah, I like it. Yeah, so Blithe Yule, Nina. Pop Medieval was recorded in our Nerdgiven studios. Your hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. Our music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinry. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash popmedieval. That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash popmedieval. Thank you for listening.